So as Ian indicated, we're in Psalm 73 today. Psalm 73 is a, uh, a psalm of Asaph. Asaph is the author, we think, of three psalms, maybe more. Um, and David Woods, who's compiled these, this list of psalms for us, has given our psalm today a title, My Feet Had Almost Slipped. And the subtitle is Envying the Prosperity of the Godless and recognizing the believer's blessings when being in the presence of God. What a brilliant thing to um, counter envy of what we see or what the world sees as prosperity, counter that by recognizing our blessings and we appreciate those most when we're in the presence of God. So that's the, the kind of headlines, but I'm not gonna stop there. <laughs> Um, I'd just like to say a little bit about Asaph. There's three Asaphs in the Bible, so um, it's a little bit of an assumption that the one I'm going to talk about is the author of, of Psalm 73, but I think it's a fairly safe assumption. Asaph was a, a singer-songwriter and appointed by King David a percussionist. Um, some say that he may well have been a scribe for David, so putting down on paper... Uh, at least from a musical perspective, or maybe lyrics as well, some of David's songs. It's an interesting perspective on the man. We shouldn't build um, doctrine on the meaning of names, I don't think. Um, but we can look at a name and just enjoy something about it. And Asaph's name means gatherer. And I just sense a man who had a bit of a musical magnetism about him and um, maybe his preoccupation was the privilege of praise and a great voice, uh, great musical talent and uh, he would draw people. That's the kind of character I've got in mind. Let's read a little bit about him in First Chronicles chapter 16. It says, uh, verse 4 of First Chronicles 16, he, that's David, appointed some of the Levites to minister before the Ark of the Lord, to make petition, to give thanks, and to praise the Lord, the God of Israel. Asaph was the chief. Skipping a few names there. They were to play the lyres and harps. Asaph was to sound the cymbals. And Benaiah and Jehaziel, the priests, were to blow trumpets regularly before the Ark of the Covenant of God. That day... David first committed to Asaph and his associates this psalm of thanks to the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord, call on his name, make known among the nations what he has done, etc. So I think it's, it's useful to try and think about this character who's um, written this psalm. And as I say, I think it's safe to say that he was a man who was preoccupied with the privilege of praise but he has an interesting story to tell which is quite contrasting in, in Psalm 73 incidentally the other two Psalms are 50 and 83 and again they bring to life some of the other thoughts uh, and uh, the character of Asaph so bear in mind we're considering 
My feet had almost slipped as a kind of headline, envying the prosperity of the godless and recognising the believer's blessings when being in the presence of God. So let's read Psalm 73. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from the burdens common to man. They are not plagued with human ills. Therefore pride is their necklace. They close themselves with violets. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. The evil conceits of their minds know no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. In their arrogance they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how can God know? Does the Most High have knowledge? This is what the wicked are like, always carefree. They increase in wealth. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure. In vain I have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been plagued. I have been punished every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed, my, betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me till I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. Surely you, pla you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. As a dream, when one awakens, so when you arise, O Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you, yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterwards you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may, fall, may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion for ever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. It's kind of get a sense of a, a pendulum swinging from one extreme to the other in Asaph's thoughts. But I love the, the stake in the ground that is verse 1. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. It's like an anchor. And um, it's interesting that it's kind of a retrospective meditation. So Asaph is this great um, singer of praise and leader of praise. Um, it's a retrospective, retrospective reflection on a time of doubt. And he's sharing it in his psalm, but... Um, so he knows the end from the beginning, that's the point. And he makes it so clear that here is a, an unshakable anchor. And let's put that stake in the ground. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. 
and he, he's speaking about the intrinsic goodness of God. And there are so many psalms and actually verses in scripture that point to that. I went to Psalm 107. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love, also in, uh, translated as steadfast love, everlasting love or loving kindness. It's a very special Hebrew word. His love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say this. Those who redeemed from the hand of the foe. It's the redeemed of the Lord that are saying it. But it's not only the redeemed of the Lord that are experiencing God's love. Uh, it's a, a, an important distinction that um, good things happen um, to bad people. That's Asaph's frustration. Um, good things happen to good people. Good things happen to all of us. And that's a demonstration of God's grace. The second phrase in that anchor verse those who are pure in heart, surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. It reminds me of, um, I think it's the sixth or seventh, sixth beatitude in Matthew 5. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. I hope I'm not putting words into Giles's mouth here, but when he spoke on the beatitudes la uh, last few weeks ago, he was grappling with what this word blessed means. And there's all kinds of variations on what it means. Um, happy is kind of an understatement. And Giles expressed it in a way I'd never heard before. Um, they are to be envied. Um, I think that's a wonderful thing, that there is an experience to be had um, in our relationship with God that makes us the envy of others. I kind of paraphrase um, the Beatitude uh, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God in my own way. Oh, the bliss of, or to be envied, are those whose motives are honest and have nothing to hide. They will have a, a special appreciation of God. And I think that's what Asaph is saying. Uh, um, in, God intrinsically is good to all, but especially those who um, have been redeemed. Um, and those who are pure in heart, whose motives are uh, pure um, and they have integrity, then they will get a, an extra special appreciation of God. There's the given, that's the stake in the ground, and then uh, the anchor, if you like, and then Asaph starts to talk about how he personally went adrift in verse 2. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. This is a very real life situation. Uh, we'll get to it a little later on, but he feels he's making a sacrifice and sometimes not really enjoying it. And then when he looks at those who are not godly in their approach, um, they seem to prosper. Um, I think there's a warning sign, isn't there? When we uh, get too familiar with the goodness of God and the special relationship we have with him, we take our eye off that reality, start looking at the world around us and inevitably get envious. Um, envious of the apparent prosperity of the godless. Verses 4 
to 12 really are how the wicked appear through this faulty lens. Let's call it the humanist lens. It's the lens into this world and into life that is godless. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. Um, verse 12, this is what the wicked are like, always carefree and they increase in wealth. The, the appearance of no worries, well, at best, it's temporary. <laughs> um, in reality, it's not true. People who seem to be prospering have for sure got their worries, especially those whose prosperity is independent of God, who don't have God in their life. So Asaph, um, good observation, but actually it's at best temporary, in reality, not true. It's a deception. Uh, verse six to nine seems to me to be how those people celebrate their own importance and fight for it. Therefore, pride is their necklace. What a curious expression, wearing pride round your neck. <laughs> Uh, it's a celebration of their success, uh, apparent uh, success. They clothe themselves with violence. It's something that they f fight for. Maybe once you've um, experienced success, um, at whatever level, you know, it's something, particularly if you feel you've done it off your own bat, then it's something that you'll keep hold of at all costs. Um, from verse 7, from their callous hearts comes iniquity. The evil conceits of their minds know no limits. Uh, they scoff and speak with malice. In their arrogance they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven and their tongues take possession of the earth. It's just a statement of a celebration of me. Um, the success of people who only have themselves at the centre of their lives and have no um, claim or concern about God. Verse 10 is interesting. Therefore, their people, that's people who look up to them, I would suggest, turn to them and drink up waters of abundance. We live in a, in a celebrity culture, don't we? Where people who are apparently prosperous by the world's standards are considered to be role models. That's the humanist way of looking at things. And this is something that Asaph, having turned his, uh, his eyes away from the rock-solid truth of God's goodness, is now observing. Um, and verse 11 and 12, no need and no room for God. They say, how can God know? Does the Most High have knowledge? I think I would add, is the and most high. This is what the wicked are like. Always carefree, they increase in wealth. We move on from how the wicked appear through that humanist uh, dodgy lens and we move to something that, uh, and it triggers doubt, that's what, um, sorry, triggers envy, that's what Asaph has expressed. But doubt is something that accompanies envy. Envy is a, a really um, dangerous uh, quality or experience to have because 
we can get consumed by it. Verse 13, surely in vain I have kept my heart pure, in vain I have washed my hands in innocence, all day long I have been plagued, I have been punished every morning. If I had said I will speak thus, I would have betrayed your children. It reminds me of that verse in 1 Corinthians 15 where Paul is talking about the resurrection. He said, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied amongst all men. And it's true. If our faith has no substance, if, there is, if we're wrong, frankly, then we are to be most pitied. And it does seem to me that that's where Asaph had got to in considering the prosperity of those around him who had no commitment and then reflecting on his own commitment and what it had cost and it just propagates doubt. It's a very dangerous situation to be in. That last expression, if I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed your children. It's a really interesting thing. I think what, it, what it's alluding to is how we can influence our children. And if we are influencing them um, on things that are not true, a faith that is not founded on that uh, truth, then we're misleading them. I think that's what where Asaph had got to. So it's not just his own doubt, but we're um, propagating this mistruth in our children so it impacts them too. Just a pause, the given here is that parents influence children. That's a fact. So um, the challenge is, to what extent are we influencing our children? Or those of us who have them, grandchildren, that's an interesting cha challenge. We'll come back to it it's in a positive way in a second. Verses uh, 16 and 17 is how to make sense uh, of all of this. And the only way is to exchange that faulty lens that is the humanist lens in exchange for the lens of God trusting faith. And we experience that most when we're in the presence of God. Verse 16, when I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me till I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. You know, the impact of experiencing and enjoying the presence of God is to bring all of these things into perspective. Perhaps a, a title of the whole psalm could be a right perspective. Um, and it's seeing what we observe going on around us, if you like, with a God's eye view. And of course, God's seeing it from knowing the end from the beginning and seeing it with an eternal perspective. Going back to Asaph in his day job, and it's, a, it's about enjoying the presence of God. And I think the picture I painted of him is safe, that here was a guy who was very gifted, very talented musically, and he was preoccupied with the privilege of praise and leading praise. In his other psalm, verse 50, and I, 
sorry, Psalm 50, verse 22 and 23. And I'll read it in an old version because it's one that I'm more familiar with and I think it's pretty special. He says in verse 22 of Psalm 50, Now consider this, ye that forget God. There's a nod to what we've been thinking of in, in 73. Consider this, you who forget God. I will tear you to pieces. That means, I think, shatter your illusion. Those people who are wearing pride as a necklace round their necks. I will tear you to pieces, shatter your illusion, um, with no one to rescue. He who sacrifices thank offerings, sorry, he who offers <coughs> praise glorifies me. And to him that orders his conversation aright, I will show the salvation of God. He who offers praise glorifies me. And he who orders his conversation aright, I will show the salvation of God. That, I think, was Asaph's experience of the presence of God. And in, and in his context, it was about leading God's people in praise from the heart. Um, I love that expression, ordering his conversation aright. That, that um, reminds me of a verse in Hebrews 13, which talks about us remembering our elders, our overseers. And it says, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Literally, consider the conversation of their life and imitate their faith. And I think um, Asaph, reflecting on what he wrote in Psalm 50, was one, a man whose life's conversation was all about enjoying the goodness of God, um, serving God with that heart of purity that we've thought about and therefore experiencing God in a very um, special way. Moving to verse 18, he's then, he's then remembering um, the reality of his experience with God, having enjoyed being in the presence of God, and now it puts his observation about what's going on to men around him um, into perspective. And I've called it slip sliding away, verse 18. Surely you place them on a slippery ground you cast them down to ruin, how suddenly they are destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. As a dream when one awakes, so when you rise, O Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. You know, some, some fail in this lifetime, and we can consider celebrities, and there's a huge celebrity, I'm thinking of a, a guy in America at the moment, who perhaps is on the brink of failure. Um, a guy who, whose wealth uh, is beyond most people's imagination and he's been indicted. Who knows what the outcome of that's going to be. Some people experience um, a fall in this life and some people don't. But the reality is that that's what we're all destined for. Um, I was thinking of that expression. It's recorded in First Samuel and it's about... Uh, sorry, Second Samuel chapter 1, and it, it's about David reflecting on Saul and Jonathan after their death. And he says, oh, how the mighty have fallen. And isn't that the reality? That um, those who have, um, do not have God in their life, or do not have God in their consideration, um, then they are bound to fall. Uh, Hebrews 10 and 27 but all men 
are appointed once to die and after death. Judgment, slip sliding away. That's the eternal perspective, the right perspective that is restored to Asaph's thinking as he spent time in the presence of God. And verse 21 um, to 24, he goes back to the anchor of his soul, that consideration of what's around him through the lens of God trusting faith. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute be a beast before you. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterwards, you take me into glory. I just love the transition. Grieved, bitter, senseless, ignorant, beast-like, <laughs> estranged. These are the things that he once was, and it's what he observes in the apparent prosperity of those who are godless. And all of that is transitioned to someone who enjoys the presence of God, is held, is guided, is comforted, and is given hope. I want there to be a word, hopeified. <laughs> I don't know if that is a word, I'm sure it's not. But that's the, the sentiment that... Um, we have as a consequence of our experience of our relationship with God we're hopeified we're given a, a hope that is both experienced now and in the future and then verse 25 just kind of the punchline confidence and contentment in God the <clears throat> antidote to envy and doubt is what I would call it who have I in heaven but you and earth has nothing I desire besides you my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. What a brilliant conclusion. It takes us right back to the beginning um, about the, the goodness of God and um, the special relationship that we can have when we um, live in his goodness. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Shall we pray?